If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. So, Caroline, I want to thank you very much for inviting me into your home. And it's, uh, I think it's the fourth episode of a happy hour now, so thank you very much. You're uh, welcome. So it's lovely to see you. happening since the last time we spoke? I think our first interview was, was it 2016? Something like that. Yeah, it was back there, wasn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> it was yeah. at um, New York Museum with yeah, XV490. Yeah. And what a change that um, cockpit's gone through now. It looks yeah. absolutely amazing. With, uh, with its new colour scheme and mm-hmm. uh, things, but it seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. So what have you been up to? Lots of things have happened since then. Um, I um, I brought my book out. True Colours. So, yeah, True Colours, so that came out in 2017. Um, and I've been part of other books uh, since mm-hmm. then. But I still um, continue to do uh, public speaking, so I do lots of talks to various mm-hmm. uh, groups and organisations, um, ranging from schools, colleges, universities, uh, through to businesses, um, and including militaries and things. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of that. But also I still stay connected to aviation through the European Defence Agency, and I'm still contracted to teach um, European military uh, helicopter crews, uh, mm-hmm. tactics and platform protection and electronic warfare, wow. which is uh, is uh, a part of my year that I look forward to uh, mm-hmm. very much. So we teach um, the helicopter tactics instructors course, which is teaching uh, people to go back to their squadrons to be instructors on tactics and electronic warfare. Um, that's gone through a lot of change. Since then, we, it's only one course a year for the instructors course. They run uh, slightly smaller courses as well, but the main one that I get involved with is is that one. It was something that I started doing when I was in the Air Force. So having left in 2014, for the last two years within the Air Force, we started um, teaching European Defence Agency crews. Um, and when I left in 2014, I was subcontracted back to carry on doing that. So I must have been doing something right because they, they liked what I did, um, which is brilliant because it keeps me um, connected to all of the skills I used to have in the military where I can still use those and still pass on that knowledge and mm-hmm. skill set, which is uh, really good. So... Um, we uh, normally run the instructor's course uh, of RF Linton News. So uh, up there we have the, the grand school and the simulator phase. Um, there's 14 nations signed up to the European Defence Agency helicopter oh. um, training programme. So uh, we get predominantly German, Swedish, um, Austrian, um, but we get Estonians, uh, Czechs, Hungarians, oh, really? all sorts of different uh, nationalities wow, on the course. Okay. Which is, uh, w- and the second part of the course is the flying phase, and we move to Sweden. So we go up to uh, Vidsul or Arvidsja, uh, which is right up in the north end of Sweden. Um, so not so many noise complaints mm-hmm. <laughs> around up there. That's what we are told. Actually, we do get more noise complaints than, uh, <laughs> than uh, we anticipated, shall we say. Um, and we do a month of flying up there, so um, 
and we do all sorts from um, uh, teaching evasion from fighters uh, and the fighters are normally provided by um, 100 squadron hawks mm -hmm. or the grippens uh, or the alkas from uh, the czech uh, republic mm -hmm. send some alkas up there um, we also do evasion against ground-based threat systems, so real threat systems, as well as um, uh, simulated ones. Um, and we do a whole uh, training program up there, um, which is um, because I left the Air Force, I'm no longer able to instruct in flight. So I do ground instruction and help manage the course and put the packages together. So designing the uh, mission plans and mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff and helping with the debrief and still instructing mm -hmm. uh, on the ground side. But I don't actually put my little pink body up in the skies anymore. <laughs> so before we move on, what, what are we drinking at the moment, Caroline? Have you uh, poured it uh, as a nice gin? So what, yeah. what is it? It's a very good question. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> I know, well, I know it's well, uh, an English gin. It comes from uh, Kent. Yeah. It's from Tenterden. And the wine we were, um, well, I tasted earlier, mm -hmm. was also from the same um, uh, area, mm -hmm. uh, Tenterden in Kent. So um, I prefer wine, I must admit. Um, and I think English wines uh, these days are absolutely amazing. They're award-winning. Uh, wonderful wines so I, I do like my English whites mm -hmm. um, and so I was drinking uh, Bacchus from uh, from there um, and the wine comes from the same um, vineyard they do uh, gin as well uh, but I can't remember what it's called <laughs> we'll figure that one out later, but, like, um, um, I only yeah. gave you a small portion didn't <laughs> yeah. I so uh, and it's a fever tree um, mm -hmm. cucumber um, cucumber tonic yeah very nice, I thought. Quite, you can but taste the cucumber, can't you? You definitely can, yeah. But uh, you talked uh, that you work with the Grippins. What were they like to fly against? Grippins are great. Uh, they're, they're quite difficult, actually, because really? the only advantage is they tend to stay a little bit higher than a hawk. Hawks tend to okay. like to stay visual and to stay visual uh, to find you. They like coming down low and skylining you if they can. Um, and then once they find you, then they'll use the vertical. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the Gripen's got a, a very good radar on it, mm -hmm. so it's able to detect us uh, overland. Um, but also, it's uh, it's not much bigger than a Hawk, so when you're going against uh, platforms like uh, Typhoon or F-15 and things, those aeroplanes, especially when they start turning, you see lots of surface area, lots mm -hmm. of wing, mm -hmm. and so they're easier to track around the skies. Yeah. Um, and they're quite big coming towards you as well, so you can generally pick them up a little bit further out mm -hmm. than something like a hawk. Um, the advantage of hawk is its size and it's in amongst the package before anybody knows it's there. And the griffins like that actually head on very, very, very small um, um, profile, so you don't see it uh, until it's a bit too late. But it's a very capable platform, it's got a very good radar on it, it's got some very good uh, weapons on it, and it turns very, very well. Yeah. Um, so um, the, the the good thing about flying these kind of missions, though, is actually if you fly the aircraft well, and bear in mind when we do this training, we're telling the um, offensive platforms, the fighters, exactly where we are. So they, they otherwise we won't get the training. Yeah. Because helicopters uh, can hide from those kinds of, even with radars, very good radars and things. Mm -hmm. If you use the ground, it depends on the terrain, the background, all that kind of stuff, obviously. 
but if all of that's in your favour, it's very difficult to find a helicopter even today with really good modern uh, radar systems. Mm -hmm. So you can exploit that, and it's teaching how to exploit that, mm -hmm. is, is what we do. And it's very rewarding for the crews to come through a fight and having, having to uh, go up against a, um, a modern generation platform and uh, tell them where you are because they can't find you. <laughs> That's, they're, they're, always they're, good. They're, they always like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're over here. We're just under you now yeah. kind of thing. Um, of course, it's not always that way. Um, sometimes uh, we get shot completely unseen. Um, but it's not. Um, there's a perception that a helicopter against uh, an agile fighter or agile fighter is worse than uh, a big um, shooter, uh, a sort of intercept platform, mm -hmm. which isn't going to sort of be able to turn with helicopters so well, perhaps, but um, it's not game over in a helicopter, mm. by all means. And a lot of helicopters these days, I've got something that bites back as well, mm -hmm. so you have to be wary of that. But I think, for me, um, uh, there's a lot of people like who know you from the F4 days. What was the F4 like to operate? I loved it. I mean, we've got the Black Mike Air picture over there, but like, it, it, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely fabulous. Yeah. I did um, 12 years fast jets, mm -hmm. and then the only reason I um, switched to helicopters was um, because the F-4 was going out of service at that time, so I had to choose a different aeroplane type. Um, but also, um, I, um, as a child, I'd seen helicopters and thought, you'd have to be crazy to fly those. So there was kind of a, a kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. madness about <laughs> yeah. wanting to go and fly them. And so I had this opportunity to change and do something completely different. And at the same time, the Air Force was asking for fast jet navigators to mm -hmm. switch across to helicopters. So I gave it a go. And um, I loved helicopters just as much. Uh, mm -hmm. It's People sometimes ask me, which is my favourite, which I prefer, but it's because they're so completely different. Um, it's like, you can't... like, which is your favourite child kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is a little bit like that. Yeah. But um, I just absolutely made up, and I feel it's privileged to be able to be involved with the F-4. Mm -hmm. um, that was a wonderful aeroplane, and I had a fantastic time uh, flying it. I... Went from F-4s to Hawks, so I did three years down at Chivner on the TAC Weapons Unit, which was uh, brilliant. So we're take, taking baby pilots who have finished on the Hawk at Valley, so they've done their advanced flying training. Mm -hmm. And before they go off to operational conversion, conversion units on type, then we're sort of teaching them tactics and tactical flying and weaponeering and all those kinds of skills. Um, so I was involved with that down at Chivner for three years, so I got to fly the Hawk, which was... Uh, absolutely brilliant. And we had a war role in those days as well. We did yeah. mixed fighter force. Mm -hmm. So we would uh, hang on the wing of a, a big jet going into a fight. And uh, the the big jets, an F4 or an F3 or an F15 or something, would blow through the fight, taking mm -hmm. head-on shots. And we'd, we'd just, the Hawks would just peel off and uh, wrap up and have a little bun fight <clears throat> um, before running out of fuel and going home. And running out of missiles because we didn't yeah. two missiles. <laughs> and again. If we're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. But, um, <laughs> but it was great fun. Mm -hmm. um, so so it was a really good opportunity, having done all of that, to switch to helicopters. Um, had the F-4 still been in service, I think I would have gone back to F-4s yeah. at that point. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I had a marvellous uh, career on helicopters and I stayed. I switched to helicopters in 93. Um, and uh, I stayed with them till 2014. Mm -hmm. 
I was quite lucky. I was <clears throat> one of those rare um, people. There's a few of us around who um, stayed flying for our whole career. So 35 years in the Air Force and all of it was in flying uh, roles um, bar a year and a half, um, which I took out for life adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So why didn't you want to go on to F3s as a, as a nav? Like, was it helicopters <laughs> or like, yeah. tell us about that. Well, um, the F3 was a new kid on the block, yeah. but the F2 had come F3, in first yeah. and it wasn't getting a really good reputation. Yeah. And I, 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 it wasn't so much that I didn't want to fly that aeroplane. It was just following, I, you, I always like to leave things on a high, and for yeah. me, the Phantom was a high, and I didn't want to be disappointed and going on mm-hmm. to something that was um, not quite the same. But also, uh, the overriding factor was the fact that um, I quite fancied helicopters, mm-hmm. just for a change. Um, trooping helicopters, tactical helicopters, down in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, completely different kind of way of flying. Um, I, on the F4, I'd um, done helicopter afil. So uh, we used to work up helicopters that were going out to the Falkland Islands, for instance, or going on operations elsewhere, Bosnia, places like that. Um, so um, I'd been the the hunter, um, looking for helicopters, mostly lynx, um, seeking um, Chinook occasionally. Um, so it was quite interesting to switch into into that platform, and then uh, and then teach I got very quickly involved one of the reasons they wanted mm-hmm. um, fast jet navigators across into helicopters was on the tactical side mm-hmm. so it was almost kind of expected to go into a tactical role mm-hmm. so uh, as soon as I joined I went off and did the next very next available helicopter tactics mm-hmm. course um, and that became my speciality uh, for the next uh, um, 21 years mm-hmm. but what was it like coming from a supersonic jet to you know, slow moving, you know. Oh, well, I had that work down. <laughs> I had that work down from Phantoms to Hawks. Right. So I was going in the right yeah. direction a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. I went supersonic down to subsonic down to, um, yeah, <laughs> creeping along the ground. I can but, imagine that was different, yeah. Yeah, because the first uh, aircraft I went into was the Wessex. Wessex, so yeah, yeah. 19 Not a very great looking aircraft, is it? <laughs> I love it. It's, you love it? It is yeah. a wonderful helicopter. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful, very forgiving, very easy to fly. Mm-hmm. It was used as a trainer for the advanced part of the mm-hmm. um, flying training system, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, in, a, in a trooping role. Um, lovely aeroplane. It, it, it does look a little bit prehistoric in it many does, ways, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of cute. I think that's yeah. kind of cute. Um, but 90 knots, but 90 knots now was down at treetop level or below. Yeah. Um, and when you're doing 90 knots down in amongst the trees, that's quite just as exhilarating. In fact, in many ways, more than doing 420 knots at 250 feet. Yeah, we yeah, experience the, the speed, yeah. Yeah, and it's a completely different way of flying. Um, so uh, we, in those days, we used to fly pretty much most places at 50 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we're doing the, the final part of our um, approach to pick up troops um, or to drop them off. We do what we call the concealed approach and departure, which was using the terrain, um, the wind, the the light and everything, shadow, whatever was out there, to uh, sneak in the last little bit so you could drop the troops off without them being seen. 
because they want to get in and do their business without a big helicopter hovering over the top saying, look, this is where we are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so th that was um, quite taxing because when you're flying a little bit high, even 100 feet, even 250 feet, mm -hmm. when you're looking at trees, you can see shape. You can see shapes of woods. Yeah. So you can see it's a diamond-shaped wood. You can see it's a circular-shaped wood. You can see it's just a, a forest that extends forever. Um, when you're down at the same height as the trees, you see a tree. Mm -hmm. or lots of trees you see the side of the tree mm -hmm. it's like there there's no shape to it so mm -hmm. is that the trees on this hillside or is that the trees on that hillside yeah. you know it, it, it gets a little bit more kind of uh, challenging mm -hmm. the navigation side of things and of course in an, in an f4 i didn't really do that much um of that kind of navigation visual navigation because mm -hmm. i was working the radar um and uh the uh, the pilot was normally better placed to look at a quarter mil map and big picture, see which way we're going across the ground. Um, whereas in a helicopter, where the Hawk was great because we, we bumped it down and we're doing visual nav, um, 420 knot target runs, um, but still at 250 feet. But it was good to have that practice, timings and, and things. We didn't do timings. F4s, uh, as uh, fighters, you're just going to get airborne and go and see what's out there and have a play with it. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually run to mission timelines. You don't have to be at a target place at a particular time. You might have to go on cap at a particular time. You might have to come off cap at a particular mm -hmm. time. Those kinds of things. So there's a little bit of time. But it's not like you're running a mission looking at timelines across the ground unless you're doing... Um, uh, a fly past or something like this, then you would do that. Whereas um, for the Hawks, the Hawks we did um, mud moving uh, stuff. So we were doing uh, IP to targets and, and visual nav and lines on maps and things. Um, and we were also doing the air defense stuff, the um, air combat, which was absolutely fabulous. I used to, uh, the, the joy of being on the squadron at that point was uh, I was a flight commander for baby nabs that were coming through, getting uh, a workup for fast jets. Um, and But I would also fly with the trainee pilots to give them an idea of working as a crew now because they'd always flown with another pilot and not necessarily as a crew, but with an instructor. So I'd fly with them to do that. But I could look at the program, I could walk in and go, oh, air combat, I like mm -hmm. that. Oh, an air defense sortie, a bounce. Yeah, I'll go on yeah, that yeah. and that. And I'd fly three, four times a day and mm -hmm. it was just absolutely fantastic fun. But how did their um, F4 fare against, you know, the F-15s or the F-16s at the time? <laughs> the age-old question. The age-old question. Oh, well, yeah. we used to go to ACMI, and I've got my logbook behind you, and I can show you that later. But we've got, uh, I've got, looking through that, at ACMI, we would go off and do workups against similar type. So we'd go F4 v F4, 1v1, and then we would go um, 2v1, or 1v2, or 2v2, mm -hmm. or 2v2v2. 2v2, 2v2 and build up and then we do dissimilar so whoever else was out there doing uh, their training we would mm -hmm. um, fight against and so there was f-15s f-104s f-16s f-14s all sorts of different you know, types against the f-14 yeah how did you win? yeah oh we won of course of course <laughs> <laughs> that's really hard for you if you ask the same yeah uh, there's there's two kinds of fights there's one where you uh, use your weapons and shoot uh, beyond visual range and I then of course missile, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well uh, but then you've got rules of engagement and you've got all sorts of things going on that mm. it's not as easy as it sounds launching a missile from mm. a huge distance away yeah. and also you've got plenty of time to do something about it 
Mm -hmm. um, but uh, once you get into uh, sort of closer ranges of visual fight, that's where it gets a bit more fun. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, an F4 versus an F14. <laughs> Really F14 is always going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but we held our own against F15s. Yeah. Uh, do you know? Um, it's not just um, it's not just the aeroplane, the platform. It's who's flying it, and the and, yeah. and their rules and regulations and things like that. Because we're still in a training environment, so they're constrained by those. Mm -hmm. And we had a knack within the Air Force of kind of jumping in the gaps in those rules and regulations yeah. and, and doing things that they weren't expecting. Yeah. Um, so um, we didn't, um, we held our own. Held your own, yeah. yeah. But what was it like, um, I'm guessing you probably remember, your first reheat takeoff in the Phantom? That yeah, must have been pretty special. Yeah. What pretty... was that like? Yeah, it's, it's um, of course, there's. Uh, all sorts of airplanes out there which um, will give you a big kick but mm -hmm. when you've come from a hawk and jump then your next trip is in a, an F4 and mm -hmm. uh, and that burner kicks in it's it's always going to be exhilarating and, and it's like you always remember your first airplane that you flew mm -hmm. and the rest of it and that's the first time I sat in an airplane which mm -hmm. just seemed to be a rocket to me mm -hmm. um, yeah lightning was uh, probably a different class of rocket but because that's all it was a rocket, it was a rocket yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it was it was fabulous yeah mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. really it's quite yeah good so um when you went on to uh helicopters what was your f uh f i think it was was it merlin you came off from um when you came from air force no wessex wessex yeah sorry. what was that like oh i love the wessex <laughs> like yeah uh, I was on 60 Squadron, mm -hmm. so um, I did the conversion course on 60, and then my first trip off the conversion course was straight into Northern Ireland, supporting 72 Squadron. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, and we didn't have NVGs on um, yeah. on F4s or Hawks, mm -hmm. so it was my first experience of NVGs on helicopters, and they were kind of the older generation ones. Hard work at night, really hard. It's a completely different... Um, way of doing things, obviously navigating at night in the dark yeah. with a green tint to everything and not having the same um, angles of visibility and uh, perceptions of depth and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. It's a completely different thing to get used to, so to jump into Northern Ireland. And of course you go to Northern Ireland and it's actually quite a small area to operate. Mm -hmm. So all of the crews have been there for some time. They don't need maps. They don't need, uh, they just get told where well, we're go. going to here yeah. and they know where that is and they'll head off there. But not when you've just jumped in on your first yeah, night mission. First and <laughs> it's kind of going, what the hell are these <laughs> tubes doing on my head? And uh, they're really heavy um, with the battery packs on them. And, you know, it's, and, it's, um, and you're very aware that it's... You, it's the first time I've walked out to fly in the UK and I'm carrying a HK-53 uh, rifle and a pistol on me and body armour, we call it body armour, but actually mm. if you look at what body armour is these days, it was yeah. it was just a little vest of some description. But, um, but um, the threat over there was, it was never higher, <laughs> as people always used to say, the threat's never been any higher. Um, <clears throat> There were, the threat was heavy machine guns, it was IEDs, because IEDs are just as much a threat to a helicopter landing on, dropping troops off on the side of the road oh, really? or picking them up, you know. Yeah. Um, 
the threats were rockets and mortars and man pads and uh, RPGs and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So the tactics was a very big part of the operating and I loved that and that's what I wanted. As soon as I uh, came off the Wessex OC, OCF and went to Northern Ireland, saw all of this, thought that's where I need to be, that's what I need to be doing. So I came back from there, enrolled on the, the, the next tactics course and mm -hmm. became a tactics instructor and then um, went from there. Um, and it was really important to me and I ended up getting involved with the trials for the defensive aid systems and learning all about that, the flares, the jammers and, and things like this. Um, and organising, it gave me a great opportunity to organise uh, evasion training against um, fighters. What well, fighters at the time? Well, I remember phoning up uh, the F-15 um, squadron oh, at yeah. um, Lake and Heave and saying, we'd like to do some <laughs> fighter affil with you. It's called fighter evasion now, yeah, but it yeah. was fighter affil in those days. And they said, yeah, sure, what kind of helicopter are you? And I said, we're a Wessex. And it was kind of, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> what's one of those? And then, well, it's a, it's like a, an old Sikorsky-type thing. Um, <clears throat> Okay, uh, could you send us a picture? So, so yeah. No. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so I sent them a picture, drew loads of guns and put AMRAMs on it and all sorts, of course, as you do. I said, yeah, this is what we fly. And, they, and, uh, and it was kind of, they phoned me up to say, seriously? Are you kidding? <laughs> You're flying these? <laughs> flies at 90 knots, flies really close to the ground. It's green, it's flying amongst the trees. It's very difficult to find. And you can see an F-15 from a long, long way away. So, um, so it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was, it was, um, that was my calling, if you like. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that. So I did Wessex for, well, um, till 97, so four years. And then I got a call to um, say that there was a new helicopter coming into service called the Merlin, um, the Augusta 101. Mm -hmm. um, it's not coming into service for a while, but we need somebody to go onto the operational evaluation unit to, as air crew to liaise with the factory um, as it's being built mm -hmm. um, and be the air crew specialist. Uh, we'd like you to do that. So I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is a brand new helicopter coming into service and I'm the first person that's posted there to help bring it into Air Force service. So I thought, oh, this is a pretty cool job. Of course, it was still being built and yeah. um, that was going to happen for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So, and the Wessex was going out of service. Um, so um, the boss of the OEU decided to make me uh, of use for trials and tactics courses that I should do a Puma um, course as well. So even though I wasn't posted to Puma, I ended up doing a Puma conversion course, okay. the full course. Mm -hmm. So I got about 120, 130 hours on the Puma as well. That's not bad. Mm. Um, but, I mean, helicopters coming from fast jets, all that, that must be like a massive difference. And I don't know, like in my head, I'd want to go straight to F3, but you obviously want to go to helicopters. Like, <laughs> no, well, to start with, I wanted to go Air Force. When I was joining the Air Force, yeah. when, I, when I became a navigator, I wanted to be Air Defence F4s. That's where I wanted to be, yeah. so I went there. And I had a wonderful time doing that. I did two and a half tours on F4s before it went out of service. 
so that's what I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But I'd done that. Mm -hmm. and I'd done three years on the hook so, so it's like a tick in the box it's, kind of, it? yeah. it's not so much a tick in the box It's it, I had a fantastic time, yeah. a wonderful time is the F3 going to improve on that the F2 had come in and it was a bit horrible and uh, people were saying bad things about it it's like any aeroplane that comes into service any aeroplane, the Merlin when it came into service any aeroplane, you can say when it was coming into service its predecessor, the crews yeah. on that type we're going, hit it, that's yeah. a whole load of rubbish yeah. it's not as good as what we're flying mm -hmm. now and so on and so on any airplane gets yeah. so much grief mm -hmm. and the tornado was the same mm -hmm. but actually at the time the, it, the, was, bad. it was bad and yeah, yeah. um, and i just i as a youngster the thing that drew me to flying was helicopters as a youngster my dad's in the army we lived out in malaysia um where he was uh, based and we lived near to a field and helicopters used to come in and those helicopters were scouts they were scouts, yeah. uh yeah there were um belvedere's belvedere's whirlwinds yeah. yeah yeah and um those kinds of airplanes yeah. and i was fascinated as i said earlier it's kind of oh my goodness you have to be crazy to fly something <laughs> with those Mm -hmm. sort of blades whizzing around the wings are whizzing around on the top mm -hmm. i didn't understand that as a youngster then but yeah it that's what hooked me into flying. So I had that opportunity to switch to helicopters. Um, I still, if the if the air platform had been right and the timing had been right, I probably would have stayed uh, fast jets. Yeah. But yeah. it's just, you know, it's just um, lots of different factors all came together, helicopters go, and I didn't look back because I had a, an absolutely amazing, fantastic time on helicopters. Absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm going to change uh, the subjects here but uh talk us through your you know transition of like coming from the f4 onto being a woman um going on to helicopters tell us about that that was very delicately put wasn't it yeah <laughs> uh yeah so um yeah i'm transgender so i knew that before i joined the air force mm -hmm. um but i had to keep it secret because in those days it was taboo and you would get thrown out lgbt wasn't acceptable military so i i um hid who i was which was really really hard very painful um not being able to be true to yourself um let alone anybody else mm -hmm. so i dealt with that until the point where it was very sad because I'd just got this amazing job with the OEU, with Merlin coming into service. Yeah. And uh, everything about Merlin was state-of-the-art. It was fantastic. There was mm -hmm. from the rotor blades to what it was made out of, the windscreen, the engines, everything about it. Mm -hmm. The defensive aid systems, streets ahead of what we had on any other platform. Navigation systems, had it had early form of but it had digital cockpit um, oh did it really yeah wow. so it was you know it was an amazing thing but at that time things were going on in my life which were uh, i eventually realized were far more important so i had to give up this really wonderful job um and tell the air force that do you know what life is what it's all about mm -hmm. it's wonderful flying these airplanes and doing this job and having and with all the people that i worked with amazing people that's great but if i can't be myself then what is the point, point yeah. so i uh, approached the air force and went through the medical system i'd already been actually seeing medical professional private medical care for a couple of years beforehand but i uh, went to um the when i thought the time was right um see the medical officer 
and laid my cards out on the table and said, this is who I am, this is who I want to do, I want to stay in the Air Force, I love flying, but I'm Caroline, I'm transgender, and I want to be Caroline. Mm -hmm. And the Air Force, she took it on then, which was brilliant, I chose the right person. Uh, Katie, she was wonderful, she spoke to uh, medical policy, she spoke to legal policy, she spoke to everybody that needed to be uh, sort of in the decision process as to whether they kept me in or not. And uh, I was absolutely delighted when they decided that they were going to do that. They were going to keep me in. So that's when I, uh, when I mentioned earlier that I stepped aside for a, a year and a bit for uh, um, an adjustment to my life. That was when that happened. So I came off the OEU, stepped away from Merlin, and that was a bit sad, really. I'd like to have stayed there, but um, nobody had ever done this before in the Air Force. Nobody had ever transitioned gender in the Air Force and, and uh, stayed in so uh, we were playing it by ear so they decided to move me uh, they went through all medical processes and procedures and uh, stresses and all that kind of stuff so I moved to a ground appointment for mm -hmm. um, just over a year um, with every intention of coming back as soon as my med cat my med board allowed me to so um, that I, I got away with it for 15 months um, um, serving as Caroline until somebody outed me to newspapers and then of course who outed you? That, I'll never know it's very odd that, yeah like, who, who's going to out someone that, somebody that who didn't friend. know me that well because right. the, the the information they gave to the newspapers okay. a lot of it was wrong they got the name right but they yeah. got the rank wrong and things like that right yeah yeah um, so um because it was new, because um, nobody expected somebody to be able to be in the military as transgender, of course, it generated a lot of um, mm. media and there was a lot of um, misunderstanding. There was a lot of um, misconceptions of what it meant. There mm. was, but there was a lot of bigotry as well. So I had to face up to that. Mm -hmm. um, and people were calling for my dismissal from the military and, you know, I'd be a liability on operations, all that kind of stuff. But I uh, had some very good friends and slowly people started standing up for me and becoming more, I had more and more positive voices, which gave me that bit of hope. People are reluctant uh, in those kind of circumstances. I think people are reluctant to step up and say something because they think that they're going to be tarred with the same brush or they're going to be um, given a hard time themselves for mm -hmm. standing up for somebody uh, like that and so on and so on, or because they're not sure themselves on whether um, how how they should do that, you know, do that, um, whether they might cause more hurt or whatever. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't step forward, but thankfully some people did, and that mm. made a big difference. Um, Merlin still hadn't come into service, but I wanted to re-engage with that as quickly as possible. So I spoke to my desk officer. I was given a chance to go into any aeroplane type I wanted. Mm -hmm. He was such a, a lovely no, guy, so <laughs> so Merlin was my first choice. I said, I started with Merlin, I'd like to see it back into service. Mm -hmm. So he posted me to 28 Squadron. Now, 28 Squadron was the first squadron forming with Merlin. Um, so I went there in 2000, um, so, and I started the process of transitioning from February 99. I ended up going back to Squadron December 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we didn't, we reformed the squadron in 2001. It had been in Hong Kong previously with the Wessex, the mighty Wessex. Mighty Wessex. And, um, and then we worked, uh, got the squadron ready for the aeroplane. Aeroplane came in, was on the first uh, operational conversion um, course. Mm -hmm. 
uh, of course, and it had already been decided that I would be the squadron's tactics um, specialist. So um, once we did that, then it was working the aeroplane out. It was a brand new aeroplane. It still didn't have a lot of clearances. It wasn't fully operational. Yeah. Um, a lot of those clearances came as we were flying with it and learning to fly the aeroplane before the next clearance came in. And then we would learn to, to fly the aeroplane to those restrictions and things. So for instance, uh, came in day only, and then it would get a night clearance, and then you'd start operating at night, and then you'd get a, a, a VFR clearance. Um, and then eventually it'd get an IFR clearance. And if you wait for the aircraft to get all of those clearances and then bring it into service, you've lost two or three years yeah, of that experience. So long, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So the, chuck the aeroplane at uh, the, the, the Air Force, the air crew, comes with the factory's clearances, but the factory's clearances aren't what uh, yeah, the Air Force wants. The air Force wants. Yeah. So, um, so then it's a process of working the aeroplane up as much as it's working us up. Um, and so that was really exciting. And um, its first uh, Gulf uh, Iraq happened in 2003. The aircraft wasn't uh, fully operational for, in 2003. So uh, we went to Bosnia instead. So um, Puma and Chinook went off to Iraq. We went to Bosnia. I did some quite exciting flying out in Bosnia. Um, and we two years then, and we moved to Iraq. Um, and even when we got to Iraq, that was 2005, so I was on the first um, um, deployment of Merlin into Iraq. We took four crews and a half, because there's always a half on the ground oh. that's doing the, uh, <laughs> doing the managing of the, mm -hmm. the things and being the duty adult and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we um, took the aircraft out there in March 2005. Um, <clears throat> and the aircraft still didn't have its full clearances at that point. It was very close to it, but it, mm -hmm. there was still a few outstanding. Um, so, and it's that age-old story again, that by the time Merlin had got to Iraq, um, the rumour control about how rubbish it was as a platform had spread to the army, and people were saying, you don't want Merlin here, you need Chinook. And why were people saying it was rubbish? I, I, I... Because they don't know the aeroplane, and it goes back to that thing of, you know, there's a little bit of, um, it's a new kid on the block, and therefore it's going to get a rubbish right. time. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of rumours, it costs too much money, and it it's got, it needs like three engines to fly, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's just rumour control. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of it's banter, and, yeah. uh, and some of it's banter that's picked up by the army, who clearly didn't think it was banter, mm -hmm. and and then take a, put a serious sort of face on it. Why can't this aeroplane yeah. do that? So we were set every test that the Army could think of. When we arrived, we took four aircraft out there, um, and we were put through every possible test, and they were really difficult tests, because the Army wasn't going to let Schnuck go yeah. until it was happy that Merlin wasn't uh, a bag of worms and mm -hmm. wasn't gonna, was going to be a liability to them, mm -hmm. sort of kind of thing. And we well exceeded every single test they put out to us. Well exceeded them. So it was kind of, yeah, thank you very much. No, you're cleared. <laughs> you're cleared. Stand down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, we're happy yeah, with Merlin. Yeah, let your son uh, take over. Uh, I think the Merlin's quite a good looking aircraft. Yeah, I think it's more, it's better from the back actually than the front. It looks more military from it's the back. There's one here. I'll take some pictures. There's but, one there. Uh, yeah, there's one there. I think just it's a good looking aircraft. One so here. yeah, yeah. For, from the back it looks a little bit more military. It's got angles yeah. and things. From the front, it's a bit more like an airliner yeah. or a heli liner. Yeah.
looking aircraft, is it? Uh, <laughs> I think it's it far exceeds the Chinook foo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's not going to like that. <laughs> in, in, in looks. <laughs> I know what he's saying right now, but uh, yeah. no, uh, it is a very good looking helicopter. It's a lovely helicopter. Mm -hmm.